So as I was thinking about uh, this morning's message, and um, there's, there's a block of verses, and, and Shelby read those for us this morning, and so you can see there's a, a few very familiar uh, verses that's in the passage that we're going to be in this morning, namely, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Um, but what we're going to be doing is walking through the book of Philippians verse by verse, and so that's one of many golden nuggets that we find even in the passage that we're in this morning. Um, I don't know... Uh, I don't know everyone in here for a, I have known everyone in here for a very long time. I've known a lot of you for a very long time. And you may remember um, that, that there was a time in my life where uh, if, there were, if there was a, a question about an Apple device or uh, something that, that went wrong with an Apple device, I was that kind of guy who just, who I, I'd, I'd kind of uh, just immerse myself in trying to understand the devices and the software and how they work and how to repair the hardware and all those things. Um, and I would, I'd, I'd, I guess I'd, I'd, it started when I got maybe the first iPhone that ever came out, you know, and that was just kind of one of those things that I was just fascinated by, like, wow. I mean, the, the technology that, that I held in my hands, did you know that I could actually get, like, email and, and, and I can watch YouTube on my phone? That was unheard of. That was craziness that that could actually happen, that I was getting email on my phone, I could, I could, I could surf the web on my phone. And so I, I thought, man, I'm on the cutting edge of things here, and so I'm learning all about the, the iOS device and the software and the, the, the Apple product. Um, and then they would release another one. See, they, this, is, this is how they set us up. They would release another one. Um, and then they would kind of add a little bit more to it, a little sweeten, sweeten the deal a little bit more. And so the next time the phone came out, it, it came with, with an app store. Um, so yeah, I had the iPhone before there was ever an app store. And so what came on the iPhone is what you had. And it was like f- five or six apps. And, you know, YouTube was the greatest thing that ever happened to the phone. Right. But then the, the app store started rolling out. And I can remember there was just kind of a, a short list of apps when the app store, uh, uh released. Um, and then they would release another phone. And every time they would release the phone, they would kind of tweak it a little bit more. They would, they would add a little bit more to it. Um, and the way, they would, the way they would lay it all out is they would have this big event. And you guys probably have watched these events that Apple does whenever they release one of their products. Now, matter, uh, usually about every September or so, they'll do one of these big releases where all their new products are getting um, revealed, right? And so, so that thing started happening where you, you, the day that that would happen, the day that this event was going to take place, man, the world would just stop turning. Doesn't matter what was going on, like if, if, you know, if the kids were playing in the street, it didn't matter. Like we're going to watch this event take place and see all the new things. And it was just kind of this excitement that would build. And every year they would do this. And every year they would add a little bit more to it. They would change the way the phone looked and felt. And then they would add even more details to it. And before you know it, like I don't know if you guys lived in the MapQuest days where if you wanted to take a trip... You would go on the internet and you would, you would do that and you would print like that many pages of map quest maps and you'd flip through those as you'd drive to your destination. So that's, that was me, right? I was, I was an actual book with a map at, and then I got to transition to actually the internet where there was map quest there. And then they would introduce like navigation on your phone where you, man, you can, wow, like this is getting even better. Like I can just kind of say, hey, here's where I want to go and my phone's going to tell me how to get there. I don't even think anymore, right? And so they released that. And then every year you hear this, right? We've got, a, we've got a much more intuitive camera. I mean, they, they always kind of prize their camera every single year. And I'm telling you all this, I, I don't, I'm not the Apple guy anymore uh, because it was, it was becoming, to be very serious, it was, it was, it, I became convicted because I became known as the, the Apple guy. Like, 
You want to talk, you, if you want to try to find a frame of reference to have a conversation with me, that's where it started. You know, this happens for us, right? Whatever our lives are defined by, um, if I like outdoors and I like, um, uh, I like deer hunting, right? Well, naturally people are going to try to enter, they're going to try to start a conversation there because that's how they know me. That's, that's how I'm identified. Well, I was that guy to a, to a fault where I'm like, I don't want to be known as that guy. Like, I, I don't want to be... I don't want to be known as that guy. And so I just kind of checked out of it all. But I do keep up with the updates because I actually got a phone, you know, and you, you can't help but see how things unfold. But cameras advance every single year. Um, now there's touch, touch ID and even face ID. And so it's come a long way. And every year, man, you sit there in front of your computer, or in front of your device, or however you're going to watch it, and you watch them just kind of unfold these things. And it's just like, oh, look at that, man. This is This is crazy. But what I never saw them do, I never saw them say, and this year, we've added a new feature to the phone. We're going to revolutionize the way room entry works for you. See how this thing can hold a door open. Stop, use it as a doorstop. They never did that. They never took the phone and said, look how smooth and even the, the butter can be spread on your toast with the phone. Like, that would be ridiculous to hear that if you were sitting there watching, waiting for all the new features to take place. Nowhere in the product demonstration would they ever do that when I would watch it. And I just want to ask the question, think about it. And you probably already kind of know where I'm going. Like, why, why wouldn't they? Why, why would they not do that? And I feel like they, they have the understanding and, and we have the understanding that the greatest potential is reached and the highest satisfaction is enjoyed when, when the device is used as it's currently intended, like as it's, as it's been created for. Like that's how you maximize your satisfaction, and that's how, you, that's how the, the potential for this thing can be maximized is if we use it to its cr- created intent. And so this is true of all things, and oddly enough, we live in a cultural climate. That's very, very similar to this. And this is kind of where we're going today. Like, there's, there's one side in our culture that embraces created intent, that embraces purpose, who they are, why they were made, what's their function in life. And, and, and then there's this other, uh, this other side that has no created intent. Like, there is no... There's, there is no purpose, and I'm in charge of my own destiny, and I make it what I want it to be. There's those two kind of camps that, that exist in our culture today. And these are the two main ideas where we're going to kind of jump off in this morning. I want us to look at, at the life of Paul. I want us to look specifically in these passages where we're going to be today, the ones that Shelby had read for us. Um, and I want us to just kind of consider those two paths, embracing created intent, Embracing why I exist, and then, you know what, there's not really a defined intent for me, and you just kind of make your own destiny, you make it what you want it, you define that thing, and you go after that thing, and you pursue that. I want to take both of those paths, and I want us to just kind of see how they hold up, how they handle all of the complexities of life, like just to look at both of those. Because if you, if you attempt to to create your own purpose for life, right? If I, if I attempt to kind of set that thing, it can be ruined by the slightest change of any circumstance. Any, any wind blowing of circumstances could change that, that path. And so you decide you're going to enter life and you say, you know what? And I'm not sure if there is a God. 
Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that, if there's a God out there somewhere, um, but I don't know his plan for my life, and I really don't care. I'm going to kind of make it what, what I want it to be. I'm going I'm to make my own life. Like, if you decide to come up with your own life, your own purpose, to try to set your own definition of what, what your purpose is for, this finite reason uh, for why you exist, and, and, like, you make that the ultimate thing, like, you, that's the thing that you're going to pursue, that's the purpose that you're going to serve, I just want to let you know that you're going to be subject to every wind of fate. That's going, to, that's going to go as the wind blows. If being a successful athlete, here's an example of that. If I'm determined to be a successful athlete, um, and this is what I've created as, as my purpose, and I've created that thing, that's the thing that I'm going to pursue. Well, what happens when I get injured? Or what happens when I get old? I don't have a purpose anymore, right? So you see how circumstances around that can just change uh, uh, the, the, the purpose for what you've defined your life basically the meaning of your life ceases to exist at that point you've defined it as this thing that's my purpose this is my goal and when that thing gets compromised well then what am I here for what's, what's my purpose if, if, I'm, if I'm set to be a, a successful businesswoman or a successful businessman where I'm going to build, I'm gonna build a, a financial empire for myself and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to be determined and I'm going to give sweat, sweat, blood and tears to see that I succeed in that thing, what happens when the stock market takes a crash? It's happened in your lifetime. Whether you pay attention to the world around you, it's happened in your lifetime. You've seen it happen where the financial market took a downturn. Uh, Enron collapsed. Do you guys remember kind of watching these things take place? And and there were very high-profile people who were involved in all of this And at the end of the day, when everything kind of went dark, literally taking guns, putting them in their mouths, and pulling the trigger. Because there was no more purpose to live. Like, that was my purpose. My purpose was financial gain, to be successful, to climb the ladder. And when that all came falling down, well, what am I here for now then? And they had no purpose for living. Their their life, the meaning that they defined, uh, uh, it ceased to exist. I don't know what you're aim is, what your goal is, or even what your career is, a lot of times you can look at that to see, is that the thing that I'm kind of driving? Is that the ultimate thing that I'm serving right now? And consider the circumstances that might sweep your feet and take you out. So you see where I I hope I'm, I know I'm kind of going around the block. I'm trying to paint a picture. If you embrace a a God-given purpose, like if you understand that, if if I embrace created intent, if I understand what I'm made for, what my purpose is, then there is no circumstance whatsoever that will ever shake my reason for living. And that's what, that's what the scriptures we see in Paul in verse 12. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul's reason for living was to advance the gospel. And he says, what's happened to me here." What circumstances is he talking about? Well, he's in jail, right? He's locked up. Now, if you recall our time in Acts, we meet up with Paul. He's an enemy to the Christians. God radically transforms his life. He now becomes a, 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 a ferocious evangelist and missionary for the, for the early church. And you see him hopping around all over the known world. You see him traveling from place to place, just proclaiming the message of Jesus. And I want to say that because... That might be the reason we think he existed, right? Was to go around from place to place preaching the gospel. And if so, 
being locked down would probably hinder that, right? Like that's the circumstance for him. If that was his purpose, was to travel around, go place to place and carry the gospel all around, then, then his purpose has been thwarted because he's now locked down. But he says, no, no, no. I have an eternal purpose to make Jesus known and the changing of all my circumstances, they can't shake that, right? So I, I am here. What has happened to me actually in this moment has served to, to advance the gospel. And so when he lands in prison, listen, he's not playing victim. He's not saying, oh, well, man, here's my circumstances. I guess everything that I was trying to do is over now. I was supposed to go to the far reaches of the earth with the gospel, and here I am locked down in, in Rome. I, 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 my purpose has ended. No, that's not what we see Paul doing. He's not playing the victim here. It, it, prison has just become another place to make Jesus known, and that's how he sees it. It's just another place to advance the gospel. And he says, so that it, became, it becomes known now throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. His circumstances don't matter, right? That's what he's trying to say. He says, my circumstances don't matter because my job hasn't changed. My purpose is to advance the gospel wherever. And if I'm in prison, that's where it's going to happen. And guess what? There's not a soul in prison who doesn't know the purpose for me being here. There's not a soul in prison who hadn't heard the name of Jesus mentioned here in this moment. These terrible circumstances that I'm in, everyone here knows about Jesus. So his job hasn't changed. And he's still building on that previous statement where a couple weeks ago, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. He will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He's still building on that. While we, we're three weeks from that verse now, he's only just a few lines from that verse. And he said, no, no, here's what I'm talking about. See, God will complete it. I'm stuck here in prison, but God's still advancing the gospel. And that's the purpose. He's saying, my purpose never fails because my God runs everything. And if I embrace the created intent for what, who, what, how God has made me, he's running everything, we win. It doesn't matter where I'm locked down. It doesn't matter what's going on with me. And so he's recalling the encouragement that he, he wrote to the Romans when he said, I know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good for those who are call, uh, called according to his purpose. He's recalling that as he's writing these words. Saying, no, man, this is good stuff that's happening here. My circumstance may be in the, in the ditch, man, but, but there's some good things going on here. Everybody in this prison knows about Jesus. And so God's purpose for my life, God's purpose will be fulfilled if I'm willing to sync up my purpose with his purpose. It will be fulfilled. I can't lose no matter what happens to me. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, hey, man, look, the one who directs my life and the one who directs this circumstance right here directs everything. He directs everything. He runs the show. And so I know my purpose. And if I attempt to create my own purpose, if I kind of say, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know if, if that's all, you know, Blake, what you're saying, if God has this purpose for me, I know it's a broad statement or whatever, but, but you know, I'm gonna, I've got this thing, and this is the thing that brings me satisfaction, this is the thing that I'm going to go after. I, I want to warn you, the success of other people is going to be a threat to your joy. When you're, when you're running down that lane, when other people succeed... That's going to be a threat to your joy. If I'm creating my own reason for living for this finite purpose, 
that completes me, that gives me meaning in life, then the success of other people in that field, the thing that I'm headed for, is a threat to, to my joy. And, and, an example, you're the funny guy in your circle. Everybody laughs when you have something to say. When a new guy shows up who's even funnier, <laughs> yeah, everybody's laughing at it. I hate that guy, right? That's how we are. Like, hold on, you're a threat. Like, that was my thing. That was my identity. That's what I served, and that's what I pursued. I'm the funny guy. You can't be the funny guy. You see, it's a, kind of a threat to who we are. It's a, it's a threat to our, our identity. But if your purpose is synced up with God's purpose, namely, so, so we're not being broad, to know him and to make him known, that's the purpose. That's why you exist, to know Jesus and to make him known. And if I'm syncing up with that, then guess what? When someone succeeds at something, well, then I'm free to celebrate. I'm free to champion that person when they succeed at something. That's what's happening in this, in this, in this passage. He says in verse 14, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the, wor- the word without fear. He says, when I got thrown in jail, man, other Christians got fired up. Man, and they started preaching the gospel. They started, they started just kind of carrying it, just getting fired up and getting motivated to do that because of my imprisonment here. You see how he's just kind of championing that. Um, if you know Ashley, you know that this is kind of not in her character to do this, but uh, we were in Las Vegas for some kind of banking convention or something several years ago, and she says, hey, let's go skydive. That is, that is not her, by the way. Just listen. Like, she's scared of everything, right? And she's like, let's go skydiving. I'm like, this is crazy. Okay, let's go do this, you know? So we go to the little skydiving place, man, and we get all suited up, and they're telling us what we're going to do. Okay, yeah, and we get in this little rickety plane, and we start going up to the 15,000 feet. And it's like, okay, man, we're going to do this. Well, I'm like, you're going first. This is your idea, and I'm going to make sure you do it, right? And so out the plane. Well, guess what? I mean, I'm morally obligated at this point to follow out the plane, <laughs> right? I'm here now, and she's done it, and so I'm morally obligated to do it. And that's the point. Like, when Paul sees these other people preaching the gospel, and it, it, when he's preaching the gospel, and he's in prison for it, then, then he, they, see, they see what happens with Paul, and they're motivated to go do the same thing. It just kind of stokes their fire, right? And Paul's championing that. And unfortunately, in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Some were preaching out of beautiful motives. Some wanted to know Christ and to make him known because they loved Paul and they loved Jesus. And others did it out of selfish ambition. They were preaching Jesus But with Paul off the platform in prison, well, guess what? It's their opportunity to take their place at the platform. It's their opportunity to kind of be the the resounding voice then. And so they were doing it out of selfish ambition. So, you know, question is, you know, can, can ministers like compete like that? You bet they can. And I know a lot of you have probably seen that or felt that. You bet they can. You can be in the religious world and still live out of a sad little perspective. You can still be there living out of this perspective, perspective of not seeking God's glory but your own. Even in the religious world, that can happen. And that's what we see here in this text. And then Paul says, well, what then? 
Like some are doing this because they have good motives, man, and they, they, they're kind of just chasing after Jesus, and others are doing it because they're just trying to feed a, a selfish ambition that they have. So, so what do we do with that? It says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. That's Paul's response. That's Paul's response to this. You see, he's championing that, they, that, that they're winning, that the gospel is moving. He'd say, listen, I'm not advocating for that motive. Like, I'm not for that motive. But as I look around, I see people succeeding and preaching the gospel and advancing it while I'm locked up here in chains. I rejoice. I'm happy. This is the goal. This is the point. And in verse 16, you saw he says, I've been put here for the defense of the gospel. Now that, that word put here, it's, it's translated from a military term, and it's meant to, it's meant to connotate stationed here. I'm, I'm stationed here as a, as a, as a soldier. I've, I've been stationed in this prison. I've been embedded in this prison. And so he sees this as like a great military campaign of God, not to destroy people, but to rescue people. That's how he sees this whole thing. And he's stationed in that prison, and those people over there, they might be stationed out there. They might be stationed in these other places. They might be embedded in those places, preaching the gospel, reaching more people with the gospel. But who cares? We're all in the same. We're all after the same thing. We're all on the same team, and everybody's going to win when the gospel moves. And that's what he's trying to champion here. We're all chasing Jesus. So that means we're all on home team. All of us. And that was his cause for rejoicing. As he said, in that I rejoice. You know, they might have wicked motives or whatever, but if they're preaching Christ crucified and, and raised from the dead so that people can know God, let them go. Let them go. God will work that out. Even if somebody's my competitor, I don't care. When my purpose is synced up with God's purpose, the winds of other people. The, the success of other people, that's a cause for celebration. It shouldn't steal our joy. If it does, it, we all need a heart check. And if you attempt to create your own purpose, your own finite reason for living, it's not going to be able to handle the load of your life. Of all the things that's going to happen in your life, it's not going to be able to handle it. If you say, look, I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to make it the ultimate thing, it cannot hold that kind of weight. It can't brace that kind of weight. So whatever it is for you, if it's your career, if it's your kids, if it's your spouse, whatever it is for you, your hobbies, if it's not Christ, it cannot sustain the weight of your entire life, all the complexities of it. It won't be the ultimate satisfier of your soul. It won't be. It can't be. And some of you, like you've made romantic love, like that's your ultimate goal. It's what I'm after. That's the thing that I'm going after. But, but let me tell you something, ladies. Listen to me. There is no guy. There's no guy that can fulfill every passionate desire of your heart and be that stable comforter of all of your insecurities. And guys, listen. There is not a woman on earth that can satisfy every aspect of every one of your needs and all of your heart and calm your comfort in, in every difficulty of life. There's no man and there's no woman that can do that for you. So if romanticism and this idea of love is the thing that you're kind of going after, you, going after and you are willing to give it all away for that, let me warn you that it's not stable enough to hold up all the weight of life. That thing is not able to do that. There's no human being that can do this. And I know as soon as I say that, you might not verbalize this, but many of you think this. 
Well, Blake, I just don't believe you. Bro, you sit on a throne of lies, sir, because that's the thing that I'm after. And you might not say, well, no, I, I don't say that. But you live that way. You live that way. And I just want to invite you, if that's you, like, try flipping the script for just a minute. Ladies, imagine a guy coming to you. Your man comes to you and says, hey, look, I am looking for you to satisfy every desire of my heart. That's what I need from you. I'm looking for you to be the one who secures all my insecurities and all my brokenness and all my failures. I want you to comfort me in every single category of my life until the end of all time. How do you respond to that? <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, right? You can't. You can't do that for him. And ladies, let me be clear. He can't do it for you either. No guy can do that. He does not know how to do that. He's still trying to work out hygiene. He is not going to be able to solve all of the complexities of your heart. And so many of us expect that from one another, don't we? Don't we? This is why divorce is so rampant in our culture, because we enter in and we hang it all on that and say, wow, it can't hold the weight of everything and satisfy everything that I need, and so I'm out. It's not going to work. That's the, that's the main contributor to that. So couples in a marriage, they want it to be everything imaginable, and yet it can't brace the load of all your desires, of all these expectations, and it just, and it just falls apart. You take that finite thing and you make it ultimate, you destroy both thing and yourself. But if you sink your purpose with God's purpose, if you say, I understand that God has created me to know him and to make him known, if I make that about my purpose, he's able to shoulder and to satisfy everything in my life. He's able to do that. Paul's contemplating at this point life and death. He's, he's facing it in his own circumstances right now, and he says this, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I stay alive... All my life is work that is bearing fruit. It's bearing fruit. I'm synced up with God's purpose. And so everything that I'm going to do at this point is going to win. It's going to bear fruit. How so, he says in verse 21, just backing up a little bit, because to live is Christ. To, to live is Christ. And Paul, as he pursues Christ, he's able to bear fruit. As we, as we chase after Jesus, we will be able to bear fruit. And for Paul, it was namely to help other people progress in their faith and in their joy in Jesus. And then that's our purpose. As we chase after Jesus, that we help others, we point other people to, to progress in their faith. And Paul's saying, the more I pursue Jesus, the harder I must lean on Jesus. And he says that. The more I do this, the more stable, the more strong, the more steady I find Christ to be. The more I have to lean in on him, the more I have to press in on him and, and kind of have him shoulder all the weight of all of these things, the more I find that he is the exact one that I need to do this for me. He's the only one that is able to do this. And he's so, Paul's so passionate about this that he's, he just exhausts the language to show you and me like, my whole life is about Jesus. Everything, my life, to, for me to live is Christ. And he doesn't have any other words to put there. That's why it just kind of seemed like 
to, to live is Christ. Or like, yeah, that's, he, he doesn't know what else to say other than like, that's what I'm about. That's who I am. I'm not about the iPhone and the iOS and all the new gadgets that are coming out. I don't want to be the guy who knows about all that. I want to be the guy who's all about Jesus. That's what I want to be about. And what he wants us to know and what he's trying to say in this text is that, hey, listen, I've leaned in on Jesus. I've placed all of my expectation, and he is the ultimate point of my life. And as I've leaned into that, I've found him to be a satisfactory building to hold all of these things that I've laid on him. I've found him to be satisfactory. He can hold the weight of all that you stack on him. He's able to do that. He is better than life itself. That's what Paul's trying to say. And sinking my purpose, when I understand what my purpose is now, God's purpose, and I sink those two things together, it gives me, it, it, it anchors my morality. It gives me an anchor for, for my morality. And it, listen, there, if there's no ultimate reality, if there's no purpose of God, no matter how much passion or fire that you have or you can muster up, nothing you do has meaning. If, if, if there's no ultimate reality or purpose from God, then everything you do is meaningless. It, it has no meaning. If we're all here to, if we're just here to, to, to create our own meaning, to, to kind of build our own way, because there isn't some created intent, that we don't know anything about that, then whatever you're pursuing is ultimately going to be meaningless. There's, there's no maker who had a created intent, if that's the way we're going to go. It's all meaningless. If that's the way we're going to go, nothing matters. Love is a joke. Friendship is a lie. Community, it's just a game. And none of it matters, right? If that's our purpose. If our purpose isn't anchored in God's purpose, then, then everything's meaningless. And the reality is, I, I have a few friends who, who don't believe in God. Would, if I were to ask them if they were atheists, they would likely say, yeah, kind of, probably. And they live moral lives. They do good things and they do bad things like all of us in the room. So I'm not saying that a person who's considered an atheist can't, can't possibly live a moral life. That's not true. But atheism gives them no basis for morality. It gives them no foundation for this morality. It, it gives no grounding for why they should care about somebody's human rights at all whatsoever. Can atheists be loving? Absolutely. They can be loving, but what I'm trying to say is their philosophy gives them no anchor for loving, no reason for loving. That's what I'm trying to say. Jesus was asked, hey man, what does God want from me? And he said, you love him and you love people. That's what God wants from you. I, and, and, and when he says that, Paul is kind of responding to that, and he says, I have anchored in eternity that what my God wants is for me to care about people. I am tethered to God. I am anchored in his purpose and his promise. Therefore, what my purpose is in the world is to love people. Love God, love people. That's what God wants from me. And this is why he was compelled to say, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He says, I have an eternal 
reason to pursue love of people. I have this eternal God who has empowered me and has given me a purpose to go and love people. And I'm tethered to that. The created intent God gave us is to love him and to love others. That's why you exist. You were created, every single one of you, whether you name the name of Jesus as your Savior or not, you were created to love God and to love people. That's how Jesus answers that question. And so when I have a created purpose to embrace, when I have that, that, in, that created intent to embrace, well, then it gives me an anchor for my morality, right? I have, a, I have an explanation for why I love. I have an explanation for why community is good. I have an explanation for all of these things that I do. I have a motivation behind all of them. And in the face of death, if, you're, if you've created your own meaning in life, if you've created your own little finite purpose in life, then, then when you face death, that's the end. It crushes, death is crushing it all. Death is the, the ultimate killer. It's the ultimate end no matter what you do. And Paul would say, but, but for me, death is gain. It's not the end. As a matter of fact, it might just throw a few more logs on the fire. Death might do that for me. His whole life was about Jesus and the one who was, the, the one who was crushed, the one who died, but, but beat death, who overthrew death, and is the ultimate, that, that ultimate destroyer of life. Jesus came and, and, and killed death. He, he took death away from us. And, and now Jesus is standing on the other side of eternity, and he's beckoning Paul, come on. And he's beckoning each one of us to come forward, step forward, and so Paul's whole life is about chasing Jesus. It's about following Jesus, knowing him, and making him known. He said, that's my purpose. That's what God has for me and for all of us. And death is only the beginning of my journey with Jesus. It's, it's not where everything ends. It's where it begins. And so here's what's mind-blowing. When you look at Paul's circumstances, when you look at kind of where we are in this text and the, you know, the context in which Paul's writing, his circumstances are a mess. Like, nothing's going right. He's, he's in prison. He has no freedom. He has no liberties. He's locked up. He's, been, he's being slandered by people on the outside. People are, people are slandering him outside the prison, and he's facing the possibility of his impending death. That's his circumstance. That's where Paul's at. And some of you are having a bad day because you have the dreadful opportunity to go to the grocery store after a while. Like, man, but what if I took your freedom away? What if we started slandering your name? What if we threatened you with death? How do you respond to that on top of having to go to the grocery store after a while? Like, what if you had to go to the grocery store with all that? That's probably the worst set of circumstances you can imagine. I'm locked up. I have no freedom. Uh, everyone that I know is talking like dirt on me and just kind of slandering my name. And so I'm losing any kind of credibility that I had in the world. And, and I'm probably going to die here. That's, that's probably some of the worst set of circumstances you, that you can find yourself in. And that's what Paul's facing. But I want you to read the passage. I want you to think about what Paul says. Hey, guys. Want you to know, locked up in jail here. Things are going great, though. Everybody knows about Jesus here. 
So it's pretty cool. Like everything's, everything's happening. The whole prison guard knows about Jesus. My fellow prisoners, they know about Jesus. Things are going great. Uh, I think I'm going to get out of here, but I don't know, maybe not. And if not, awesome, because then I get to go be with Jesus. Do you just kind of see like that's the intent? That's how he's writing. He's writing with this enthusiasm and this, he's being upbeat in his circumstances. He has this unshakable joy. This is the part where he's supposed to lose all of his joy because his purpose was to go and, and have the liberty and freedom to go around the globe and spread the gospel places. But now he's locked up and he's in this place. And so now it's just his circumstances are there and he's not having any more joy. And, and, but no, Paul has an unshakable joy here. Why? How? Because he has realized and embraced his God-given purpose. It's to know Jesus and to make him known. And so my circumstances here, guys, has only further fulfilled my purpose of making Jesus known. Everybody here in the prison knows about Jesus. How can you experience this kind of joy and freedom? How, how, do, you, how do you do that? How do I do that? How do, how do we get there? It, it, I, I think it's going to start by us being very honest about where we're at. What are we pursuing? What have we created as our purpose? And don't, don't, I don't want you to leave here with the Sunday school answer of like, Jesus, and your life not reflect any of that. But honestly, answer the question, what, have, what is my purpose? What, today, what am I serving? What is that thing that I'm kind of pouring out my energy for, pouring out all of my resources for, sacrificing my time and all kinds of other things for? What is that thing? And when you get there, call it what it is. Call it fabricated. Call it a fabricated purpose that you built on your own, that it's meaningless, that it's small, that it's temporal, and you, you would be willing to trade it in. That you would be willing to say, yep, that's, that's not at all what I was designed for. And, if, and it, when, when the cards fall, when things kind of just start crumbling down, that thing's not going to be able to hold up life for me. And I'm going to lose meaning. I'm going to lose purpose. And realize your God-given purpose and your God-given calling and step into what he has for you. That's how we do that. It starts with being honest. It starts with thinking of where am I and being very honest and asking the Spirit to kind of show this to you. Like, Lord, what is the thing that has me consumed right now? What is the thing that is asking everything of me right now? And is it your purpose? Is it to know you and to make you known? And if so, it's worth trading in everything else for. It's worth going in, all in for that. God is the author of your entire story. And if you just stop for a minute and read the story, what you're going to learn is that he has the whole thing rigged so that we win. And I think that's the problem. The problem with us not wanting to kind of trade in that, that, that fabricated purpose that we've made for ourselves is because we're afraid that we won't win, that something else, we're going to lose at something, and, and you just need to read the story and know that God has already written it, and we win. It's been written. Your circumstances don't call the shots anymore. Paul, man, we're going to ruin your circumstances. Man, we're going to take away your freedom. We're going to throw you in jail. Great. A new missionary opportunity. Let's go. I'll lead the way. Paul, we're going to slander your name. and We're going to start spreading rumors about you. Your, your influence is going to be minimized in this circle. Are they preaching Christ? Fantastic. Let them keep talking. Paul, we're going to kill you, man. 
We're going to end your life. Great, because to die is gain. I win. But we're not going to kill you. We'll keep you alive. Perfect. That means progress and joy in the faith, and I get to serve my brothers and sisters until God calls me home. You see how any of the, none of those circumstances, they're not shaking him at all. He knows what his purpose is, and his purpose is continuing to, to play out. He's anchored and tethered to God, and so no circumstance, no death, no life, no persecution, no affliction can shake his joy because he's anchored to the eternal. Get that? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the time um, and the word and the encouragement that you give us every waking minute of our lives, Father, and especially as we come together as a gathered group of people who are um, God seeking you. God, you have, um, you have divinely appointed this time for every one of us to be in this space and in this moment. And so, Lord, I know that there's nothing that we can say or do here that's going to affect what you have for each one of us in this room. And so, Father, I pray that we be open, that our hearts and our minds be open to receive what you have for us, to, to, to hear what you have to say to us, to, to show us, Father, that we may have eyes to see, God, where we're at with you. God, forgive us when we look at Paul as someone any different than us. That we look at him as, as someone to praise and to, to put on a pedestal rather than to emulate, Father. Forgive us of that and show us the way. Show us how to take steps of boldness and steps of faith. And God, give us a clear mind and a clear heart to honestly uh, do an inventory of where we are. And like Paul, Father, it is my eager expectation and hope that many would come to know you and to, to be motivated to make you known. Lord, we love you. We pray that these next few moments, Father, would be Lord, we pray that you would take over, um, that you would take over this place, that you would, um, Father, do whatever it needs to, whatever you need to eliminate distractions, to refocus us, to reshape our hearts, to point us in the right direction. Father, don't let technical things and things that are external to who you are reduce what you want to do right now. So God, help us to focus and help us to think on you. Help us to think on the words that you've given to us this morning, that the words that you've given us for life. May they come alive to us in a way that encourages obedience and faithfulness and encouragement 
steadfastness. We stand on that promise, God, that you will work in all things for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. So as we've talked about circumstances and ways that that might shift and shake us, Father, I pray that this morning that that promise become a reality for us, become a reality for the one or the few in this room who just really needed to be reminded of that promise. God, would you, uh, would you work a miracle there? And we love you. We give these next few moments to you and worship, and we give our lives to you as living sacrifices. And it's only by Jesus and for Jesus and in Jesus that we pray all these things. Amen.